Welcome to the In the Oil Patch radio show, broadcasting from the SR Trident studio. SR Trident, where safety is a culture, not just a word. In the Oil Patch radio show with Kimball Auto is where you will hear the latest in the oil, gas, and energy industry from a wide variety of industry experts, elected officials, and more, right here on In the Oil Patch radio show. And welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. This is our live show today. My co-host, who is also the editor of Shell Magazine, will be joining me shortly, David Blackman, along with Jason Modulin, who is the president of the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. We're here today to answer any questions you have on oil, gas, or any specific questions on the energy sector will do. Please feel free to call in. Uh, the phone number is 210-308-8867. Again, the number is 866-308-8867. We're here to answer any questions you might have on oil and gas, and possibly even the confusion that you might be having as we're looking, moving into 2022 and this wonderful administration and their policies pertaining to energy. Um, you can also email me at kim, K-Y-M, at shellmag.com. Um, before I bring on David and Jason, I'd like to tell you about the latest issue of Shell Magazine. We featured Heidi Gill, who is the CEO of Urban Solution Group out of Colorado. It's, she's an amazing and dynamic woman, uh, just in her own right. However, uh, the stuff that she is doing um, as an entrepreneur, as a woman and breaking down barriers that we have not seen, it was a very interesting story, a very interesting woman. And I do encourage you to go to shellmag.com and get your free digital issue and read all about my friend Heidi Gill. <laughs> David, let me bring you on and I apologize. I'm having really bad allergies today, guys. So Uh-oh. just kind of bear with me. But um, <laughs> David, before um, we bring on Jason, let, let, let me also um, just kind of get, what are you working on with Shale? I mean, I know that you guys have an upcoming issue coming on. Um, what can we expect? Yeah, uh, so our, our cover for, for the January, February issue is going to be a review of the first year of energy policy from, from the, the Biden-Harris administration. Uh, we did the same thing after the first year of the, the Trump administration in 2017, and uh and, you know, I mean, there's been a lot going on. Uh, most of it has uh, obviously been quite negative for the oil and gas business, mm-hmm. just in terms of the policies they've been pursuing. Um, they've had a lot of unintended, unintended consequences, as, as we're all aware. And, uh, you know, you, you've end up, ended up creating some pretty massive inflation in all forms of energy as a result, largely of these, these policy choices they've been making. So it's, you know, it's it's not a great story. <laughs> it's not a positive story. But, but it's going to uh, be a truthful story. Yeah. And an it's going to be story. truthful and fact-based, and then we're not going to pull any punches. So, Well, you know, and, and I think it's really important because to review, uh, energy does matter, which is why our show matters, which is why we are dedicated to being here, trying to sift through this very complicated industry, much less how it affects the average consumer. And when we have an administration, rather it's, uh, you know, supporting energy, we start seeing things happen good on, on a good positive note for the American people. And when we start seeing heavy regulation and things that Jason Modulin's group looks out for, we start seeing really bad things happening to the general population with inflation and higher prices at the pump and stuff. So we're going to get into that. But let's uh, <clears throat> let's welcome on our guest today, um, our faithful and regular Jason Modlin, the president of Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. Jason, without your partnership and in, in jumping on the show once a month and 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 helping us understand what's happening, rather it's at DC 
or here uh, in Texas, um, it, it sure does matter. Uh, and before we jump into, we have phone lines lit up. Before we jump on a call, I'd like to give you a moment to just kind of tell our listeners a little bit about the Alliance. Uh, it's a wonderful organization, and we want people to join. Um, what's its core mission? Sure. Well, Tim and, and David, thank you very much for having me back on, uh, and Happy New Year. Um, the Alliance serves oil and gas operators across the state, particularly independent operators and, and small family-run businesses that are producing the energy that we need for a, a growing nation and, and a growing world. And, and so we focus on those oil and gas policies in Austin and in Washington, D.C. to make sure that they can stick around and, and uh, pass on a legacy to their kids, uh, producing the, the energy needs of, of uh, this world. So uh, happy to do it, and, and it's an honor to do it. You know, I am very impressed because um, I've witnessed for the last couple of years you've been with the Alliance there's really been a big push pertaining to helping us understand the really bad bills that are being pushed, whether it's through Texas and you guys are engaged in it, or rather it's FERC at Washington, D.C., and, and working with those regulatory agencies, and how really important it is to have an association. And, and there are many associations, but um, you also um, have a way of communicating very effectively. And that's not that easy to do, in my opinion. Um, we either have seen where we have associations that the leadership is not that really great at speaking to the community and or they are great but they're just completely complicated in how they speak and and it, and when you lose people that way so you're in the middle of the road and you're a great person to have a partnership with that, that helps break down all these very complicated things that are happening um let's let's talk about wti it closed over 83 dollars on friday um, and it was 78 when Biden ordered uh, his big 50 million barrel release from the Strate- Strategic Petroleum Reserves. Excuse me. <clears throat> what can uh, you say that is having these effects on uh, the energy prices, this administration and, and their policies? Are they successful or, or are we seeing just failure on top of failure, Jason? Yeah, I I think it is largely a failure to use the SPR to try to control energy prices. Um, It's designed uh, to meet those short-term needs, uh, either when we're going to war or when we have a natural disaster where where you need immediate access uh, to that type of of heavy crude in order to get it to the refineries and and have the jet fuel that we need to, to power those efforts. You know, this president is facing a constant push and pull within his administration, some with the goal to increase energy prices, make renewables more attractive, and ultimately to reduce our consumption. And they've done that in a variety of different ways, whether it's shutting down pipelines, imposing leasing bans, discouraging capital, calling for investigations on on price issues, uh, all the while asking OPEC to, to pump more. And then you have the the folks within the administration that are just looking at reality. They know that high gasoline prices, high home heating prices, the highest inflation in 40 years um, are are going to create substantial political challenges uh, for the president and his party. And so they're trying to get uh, uh, some some temporary fixes, whether that's releasing the SPR, coordinating with our allies. Or, or even helping Russia to get Nord Stream 2 pipeline up and running. I mean, the, these types of things um, are, are just running headlong into uh, a president that really doesn't have a focused energy policy. 
Yeah, David, you want to add on anything? Some well, just yeah, saying, yeah, I mean, you're right. <clears throat> no, it's Jason's absolutely right. Uh, I, you know, about all of that. Frankly, I, it's a shame. You know, I, we we have been through. Gosh, I mean, I've, I've been around the industry for four, forty-five years. I uh, started uh, my first job in the industry was when Jimmy Carter was president, and he was doing all these lunatic things in the energy space back in the seventies. Um, and and there has never in my lifetime been an interventionist energy policy implemented by the federal government that had anything but a negative impact on our society, on our economy, and on, on energy supply. It, it, it's all uniformly negative. It never works. And yet these people in Washington, these, these professional politicians and bureaucrats just can't help themselves. And and. This release from the SPR is, is uh, just the latest uh, in a long line of failed examples of that kind of policy. And unfortunately, we have three more years of this and, and we'll see more uh, over the next three years. I don't have any question about it. I guess my question would be is um, we, we did have a show on this and we all kind of agreed. Yeah, that's not going to work. This is going to look you know, this is going to be, yeah. nothing's going to change. And no, um, right. No, it's all very predictable. That, that's the sad thing about it. It's all completely predictable mm-hmm. that it's not going to have the impact they think it will. And, but they do it anyway. But I, and I also think though, that, that the most appalling thing to me though, is that like Jason said earlier, this strategic petroleum reserves is really set up for a matter of a national security a purpose or a reason. It isn't just right. to lower the price at the pump to get a couple of uh, votes or to get the heat off of you. This is a very important uh, petroleum reserve, and it should have been kept as that and maybe found another solution. And then you, you know, I'm looking and I'm like, but but you're intentionally making uh, all kinds of regulatory changes that you know are going to minimize the amount of energy, but yet you're asking OPEC on a global scale to please open up at the reserve or, you know, start pumping again or helping. And then you're contacting operators and asking them, what can we do? But all along you're taking leases off. Uh, you're removing the ability for them to do their work. And this just doesn't work. And I don't think that even the average American person does not understand that there is something seriously wrong with these policies. I don't know if they're now questioning if, if maybe he's in, maybe not all there. Uh, I, I just hear so much in my channel, and I'm like, there's a lot that I think the American people are very, very concerned about this administration and uh, the lack of them understanding what they're doing, and it's reflecting in, in all different areas. Now, when we get back, we're going to take a call. Uh, we've got John on the uh, Joe from the Woodland again, and John in uh, Midland. Hang on. We'll be back. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to an Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. The Texas Alliance of Energy Producers has a rich and commanding history of fighting for the independent oil and gas industry. The Texas Alliance became a statewide organization in 2000 with the merger of two of the oldest oil and gas associations in the nation, the North Texas Oil and Gas Association and the West Central Texas Oil and Gas Association. Today, with more than 2,600 members, the Texas Alliance is the largest statewide association in the country serving independent energy producers and associated industries. Through our efforts in Washington, D.C., 
and Austin, the Texas Alliance is focused on a better business climate for you. The Texas Alliance has a staff consisting of highly experienced senior staff and supporting consultants serving our membership. Offices are located in Austin and Wichita Falls. Become a member today by visiting texasalliance.org or email us texasalliance at texasalliance.org. Remember this name, Oilfield Experts, to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oilfield equipment needs. Oilfield Experts' specialty is those hard-to-find oilfield parts for your fleet maintenance needs, and we've been providing those parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us for the right part right now. Write down this number, Oilfield Experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210-471-1923. And visit us on the web at theoilfieldexperts.com. Welcome back to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. This is our live show in which my co-host, David Blackman, who's also the editor of Shell Magazine, is joining me along with Jason Modulin, the president of Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. And if you want to join our live show today and be a part of the oil and gas discussion, please feel free to call 210-308-8867 or 866-308-8867. Guys, um, we've got phone lines um, waiting, so... Barry, let's take uh, John in Midland. John, are you there? What's your question? And thank you for joining the show today. Yes, uh, my question is, how long will we see gas prices at the pump continue to rise? And is there anything that we can do to stop it? Because I do own a service company, and it's affecting my bottom dollar. Yeah. Okay, gas prices. Well, yeah. Uh, well, um Jason, you want to go first or I'll go first? I don't care. Um, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, David. It's a tough question. I have, I have to tell you, John, I I don't have any good news for you. Um, I, I think we're probably going to have $100 oil prices before March, maybe April at the latest. Uh, oil demand globally continues to just skyrocket uh, because of all these growing economies around the world and recovering economies from the from the virus, uh, the pandemic, and um, you know the renewable energy sources that everybody keeps trying to subsidize and prop up to take their place can't do it, and so uh, demand is beginning to outstrip supply globally. Uh, the United States industry is going to, you know, have a bit of a boom this year and 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 have more production, I think, come online, but it won't be enough to keep up with demand, and so. Gasoline prices follow oil prices, and I just think we're we're in for a very expensive year uh, when it comes to oil and, and gas prices this year. And Jason, he asked a, a secondary question: Is is there anything that we can do? Well, of course, elections have consequences, but anything else? I mean, is there anything potentially that can come along and, and kind of knock this back into some kind of sanity? Because it seems like we're in this insane world where, where the administration doesn't understand. <laughs> yeah, I think. It, 
if the administration was providing some certainty that they saw what was coming, which is that demand has risen back to what it was pre-pandemic. Uh, throughout the last year, we've said, well, um, uh, jet fuel demand hasn't gotten back up to where it was, or we're still seeing uh, Asia and India lag behind, um, but that's not the case anymore. Uh, jet fuel right. demand is back uh, over what, what it was pre-pandemic. Uh, and now you have a new and uh, a pretty devastating um, uh, new demand come online and it's burning heating oil in order to meet our, our energy needs, uh, both in the Northeast and also in Europe right now that have bet uh, heavily on wind and solar to be able to meet their needs. And when that has fallen short, they've turned to natural gas. And unfortunately, they don't have the pipeline capacity for natural gas to meet their demands in both Europe and in, in the Northeast. And so they're relying on more coal. They're relying on heating oil in order to keep the lights on. Um, and, and so it's it's pretty devastating, but we're also going to see just higher demand, and that's going to lead to higher prices. Well, that also means then that these service companies are going to probably not be able to hire as many people because they're going to have to look at these expenses. Let's take uh, line two, Barry, Joe in the Woodlands. Joe, thank you for calling in every single show. We appreciate you listening to our show. What is your question? Well, we appreciate your show. Of course, it's another beautiful day in Texas, but a cold day. And the question is, you know, because of the cold, my heating bill is just outrageous. And I'm luckily, I'm on natural gas, but... Uh, a lot of people have asked, would it be more efficient to just get a propane or butane tank out in the yard and use that as heat? You know, once you get the startup cost of buying the tank, is that something that's more, uh, you know, efficient cost-wise, better than, you know, paying some of the higher natural gas bills, even though propane butane comes from natural gas? So that's basically my question, and another neighbor had the same question. Very good. Well, Joe, yeah. it might be worth pricing out and seeing yeah. uh, uh, long term if, if propane is going to work for you and, and be better. Uh, certainly in, in central Texas, where I'm at, deliveries of propane are often more expensive uh, as, a, as a whole than natural gas delivery. Um, but uh, you might be in a good spot there outside of Houston and uh, be able to see some savings. Yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, I'm on propane at my house and uh, Although I live right in the middle, smack dab in the middle of the Barnett Shale natural gas development, we don't have pipeline service here to our neighborhood. So we, we're on propane and sometimes it's cheaper and sometimes it's more expensive. And, and Joe was absolutely right. You know, the propane is derived from a wet natural gas stream. Uh, it's one of the products that gets produced along with natural gas. And it just depends on what the market's doing for each of these individual components of the gas stream uh, uh, to determine which one's going to be more expensive. Um, but here again, we're, we're in winter. Uh, we, we have uh, natural gas prices have gone up, uh, particularly over the last week, quite a lot. Um, and, and it's because storage levels for natural gas are, are not at their historic norms. We're having to supply a lot of natural gas to Europe uh, via liquid liquefied natural gas exports uh, because the wind stopped blowing in Europe and, and Europe uh, right. has to have our natural gas to keep the lights on. And so, again, high demand, outstrip, outstripping supply, costs going up, and, and it's all 
it's all can relevant. really be rolled back to renewables and their failure to do their jobs that they Correct. promised they could do. Correct. I don't know about you guys, but this show seems to be a very heavy show because there's just a lot going on, and a lot of it is is not that positive. Uh, we have phone lines lit up. If you want to join the show, please dial 210-308-8867. Guys, we're going to take a quick break. When we return, we'll be visiting with Bruce out of San Antonio. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. SR Trident is a veteran-owned and operated industrial construction company. Established in 2012 by co-founders Stephen Snyder and Ryan Berthold, SR Trident has positioned itself as an expert in the industrial construction sector. With mounting business expansions, they've assembled a team of skilled, experienced, and able individuals who are dedicated to meeting client needs as they evolve. SR Trident's safety record is impeccable as they've won a number of awards, including the ABC National Safety Excellence Award in 2020. With exceptional leadership and experience driving their gains, SR Trident can tackle any project and are ready to let their talent be the driving force in the energy industry. Call today, 361-776-2662 or visit online at srtrident.com to request a bid proposal today. Welcome back to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto, along with my co-host, David Blackman, who is also the editor of shaleomag.com, along with Jason Modlin, who's the president of Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. Today's our live show, so if you want to join and ask an oil and gas question, please feel free to do by calling 210-308-8867. Um, Barry, let's take Bruce, who's been on hold for a little bit out of San Antonio. Bruce, welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. What is your question today? Thank you for calling in. Well, thank you for taking my call, but it's a quick question. A couple of weeks ago, I think I read a story about wastewater disposal uh, in Texas, I think in the Permian, and it was a big change, but I haven't heard anything about it since. I was wondering if the experts could elaborate on that. Is this a big deal, or did I, uh, or am I wrong? Go ahead, Jason. Yeah, Bruce, it, it, it is a big deal. Uh, we have a number of areas in West Texas that the Railroad Commission has identified as a seismic response area. Uh, within those areas, and, and one is north of Midland. There's another just outside of Big Spring, and, and then another a little bit further west of there uh, in the Delaware Basin, in which they've asked operators to reduce their disposal amounts uh into deep water deep uh, uh um, formations um in order to uh, avoid some seismic activity from taking place uh the railroad commission also requires some monitoring to be put up in in those places uh certainly it, it can be a challenge for operators uh, uh ne needing to deal with this uh, produced water uh put it elsewhere either put it into shallower disposal wells or uh, pipe or truck it out of those regions um, and dispose of it in other places. It's also why the industry has been so proactive about going after uh, water recycling in order to utilize this water for other purposes. Very good. David, anything to answer on that one? Uh, no, I, I think that summarizes it. You know, it's, it's uh, 
I mean, water disposal has always been an issue in Texas. It's um, it has been associated with some of these uh, seismic events uh, across the state over the past decade. Um, and the, the commission has really done a really good job when you look at it mm-hmm. uh, in controlling and responding to these seismic uh, kind of clusters that happen with this standard kind of approach uh, on reducing the volumes and the pressures in these formations that could be causing some, some slippage deep down below the surface. And uh, so it's a good approach and it's smart. And yeah, it causes difficulty for some of these operators, but it's just uh, part, of, part of being in the business. Yeah, it's the license to operate. And, you know, I, I do want to give a compliment to our, our Railroad Commission, the three of them. They do take on tough topics, whether it's seismicity and this this topic and or the flaring topic. They've also taken that on as well and are, are just saying, you know, hey, um, yes, it's a resource we definitely need, but we need to do it in a responsible way. And sometimes that's the cost of doing business. It might be just a little bit higher uh, because you have to do certain things the right way to, of course, protect the environment, protect any yeah. endangered species, protect, you know, where we're not having many earthquakes or little seismicities going on, all these different things. And, and I'm very proud. I mean, we're lucky to have three elected officials like this, that they're elected and yet they really know what they need to do to protect. No, they, they do. And they've, you know, Kim, they've been pretty proactive. Uh, mm-hmm. This group of commissioners is really in, in my long time of working with the commission for 40 years off and on uh, on various issues, um, this is really the most proactive group of commissioners we've had. And uh, unfortunately, Wayne uh, Christian, the current chairman, is, is up for re-election this year. He's been taking a lot of negative hits from uh, some of his political opponents uh, uh, on the water issue and the flaring issue recently. And I don't think a lot of it's been fair, but, you know, it's just part of part of that deal too. But uh, they, these guys, they, they really have done a great job on this current commission, and we we should all be grateful that uh, the three of them are there. Correct. I'm glad we're not having to cover on the show the negative part of it. We're all, actually always complimenting that they are working towards a better environment to produce the oil and gas industry. You know, to be producing this here in Texas and definitely a leader and a model as well. Guys, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll get back on our live show. If you want to join in, it's 210-308-8867. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Psst. Hey, you. Do you want to join the fastest growing oil and gas network in Texas? Ma'am, I'm all for growing my business. So you've got my attention. What is it? TEAK is the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition. They hold business mixers to help businesses grow and network. Any cost to join? For the next 90 days, it's completely free. No charge to join. But they do want like-minded individuals to attend who are interested in growing their business and networking. Well, I want to join. Where should I go? Go to shalemag.com slash Teak and click on the join link. Enter your information and we'll get you set up. Join the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition at shalemag.com slash teak today.
And welcome back to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bilotto, along with my co-host, David Blackman. And our guest today is Jason Modlin, the president of Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. And we're here to answer questions that you might have on the energy industry. The phone number to dial in is 210-308-8867. Um, David, we, I know we, we, we need to get back on the whole Biden administration. I know you have a question that's, that you've been wanting yeah. to ask. Well, Jason, I, I, it, it looks like, I guess, anyway, it's always hard to tell in Washington, but it seems like the whole Build Back Better thing is all but dead. Uh, Senator Manchin, I think, has now gone so far as to even pull his compromise position off the table related to that bill. And I know the Alliance and, and you uh, personally spent a lot of time working on educating about the, the truly awful parts of, of that, that bill. And I just wanted to give you a chance to talk about uh, your view on what the outlook of that legislation is going forward. Well, I agree with you 100 uh, percent. Senator Manchin uh, has pulled his compromise offer. Um, Why was it and, and so really, bad? Why was it so bad, Jason? Like, explain what was really so bad in the energy pockets. Of the, it, the, the, absolutely. So uh, as it was initially proposed in the Senate, uh, a much higher um uh, taxes raised on on producers here in the United States uh, particularly would have been harmful to uh, smaller operators uh, by going after intangible drilling cost and percentage depletion. Uh, you would have made it um, uneconomical to drill wells here in the United States. It, it would have encouraged production um, out, out overseas um, and outside of the United States. Uh, then you had uh, obviously some corporate taxes as part of that, which just would have raised um, uh, the cost of doing business here in the United States, but that was hitting everybody. Um, but then as it went to the House, the House um, uh, took away the, the uh, harmful tax provisions, but then added in a new one, a methane tax um, <laughs> that would have hit consumers to the tune of $16 billion a year. And as we were looking at, we just couldn't figure out a way to get out from underneath it. They said that there were some efficiency goals as part of it, uh, but the mechanisms that they were putting in place uh, as it was monitored by the EPA, um, producers here in the United States would have never been able to get out from underneath this taxing scheme. And, and ultimately that would have raised energy prices for consumers. I think Senator Manchin looked at it and, and though he was supportive of some of the grants um, addressing uh, climate issues, uh, uh, incentivizing wind and solar and batteries and that type of thing. He didn't want to do it at directly at the expense of the domestic oil and gas industry and the coal industry um, and, and harming consumers ultimately. Um, and so he pulled his support and, and he was certainly the most vocal, but there were a number of senators that um, were in the wings uh, that didn't want to see very high energy prices for their states. Um, and, and so they had voiced uh, both support for Senator Manchin um, and, and quiet support uh, for seeing the bill come to an end. And thankfully it did. So do you all really think this is dead? It's gone? Like it's not coming back? I, I think we'll see, see different nothing really iterations ever... of it. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, certainly parts of the bill, uh, whether it's the child tax credit, Medicaid expansion, or other types of welfare programs, um, those will continue to be a focus for this Congress um, uh, as long as they can uh, for the next uh, 11 months, uh, try to get those reauthorized. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, hopefully the tax provisions are off the table. Hopefully. Barry, let's take uh, line one. Lauren, Corpus Christi. Lauren, welcome to the Oil Patch Radio Show. What is your question for today? Or comment? 
Hey, Kim. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I am wondering what is going to happen go- with this new COVID um, strain that's really just kind of wreaking havoc on employers in the oil and gas industry right now. Well, you know, I think that's a great question because we just had something come down from uh, the Supreme Court, and I don't know how that affects yeah. the operators. So, Jason, thank you, Lauren. Um, is this going to have an impact on, on the energy industry? Yeah, it was kind of mixed, right? The, the, the administration said that um, uh, OSHA could not mandate uh, vaccines for employers with um, 100 or more employees, uh, while at the same time saying anyone that takes federal money um, can be held to a standard where they are required to have a vaccine, and, and that includes um, uh, nursing professionals and, and other medical professionals. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how how uh, contorted that becomes. If any federal outlays are made, um, does that then allow the, the administration to mandate a vaccine in that particular company or that industry? Uh, certainly, it, it has been a challenge um, getting workers and, and getting employees. You obviously want to keep them safe. While at the same time, um, we, we've seen this as a much um, much more virulent, but but much less uh, in terms of uh, impacts to, to health, uh, shorter yeah. hospital stays, um, and hopefully hopefully this means uh, we're we're coming to an end. Well, I don't. Yeah, know. hopefully. Yeah, I don't know. Somebody, I mean, again, this is just media. It's unconfirmed that we're going to continue <laughs> to see strands, and we're going to continue to see boosters. That they're going to want to see these boosters, um, and I'm just kind of curious, like, how does that work? So, so is it the thought that you get the booster and your symptoms are less if you should catch COVID or one of the strands as opposed to not having the vaccine at all. Is that what what the whole, <laughs> I, I, I don't understand. <laughs> I'm completely confused what's the right. A health show and, uh, lost <laughs> right, none of us are doctors, but <laughs> I don't quite understand. I mean, people who are getting, who have this are getting it. I mean, three executives last week had it who ha- were all boosted up and, and uh, maybe their symptoms were not as bad. I don't know. But I'm just like, but you're still catching it. Or you're still, so, uh, you know, I don't know. I'm just, Kim, it's not, I can't seem to figure out what's, what's the proper thing to do here. Anyway, guys, we're going to take a break. When we return, David, I think that, um, you know, with, with us discussing before the, uh, or discussing the Build Back Better bill, I want to try to get on the topic of, the Democrats and their new tactics as as we start seeing these changes that are happening. I want to try to get an understanding of what your thoughts are, you guys, on that, as well as let's talk a little bit about the Baker Hughes rig count and how it has been uh, coming, uh, the rig's count is starting to come up. But we've got to take a quick break. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back.
Texas Alliance of Energy Producers has a rich and commanding history of fighting for the independent oil and gas industry. The Texas Alliance became a statewide organization in 2000 with the merger of two of the oldest oil and gas associations in the nation, the North Texas Oil and Gas Association and the West Central Texas Oil and Gas Association. Today, with more than 2,600 members, the Texas Alliance is the largest statewide association in the country serving independent energy producers and associated industries. Through our efforts in Washington, D.C. and Austin, the Texas Alliance is focused on a better business climate for you. The Texas Alliance has a staff consisting of highly experienced senior staff and supporting consultants serving our membership. Offices are located in Austin and Wichita Falls. Become a member today by visiting texasalliance.org or email us texasalliance at texasalliance.org. Welcome back to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Today's show is live, so if you want to join the oil and gas conversation, please dial 210-308-8867. David, I want to give you an opportunity. I know you and I have had some discussions on um, the Build Back Better bill. It's failed. You know, is it over? Do we see it coming back? And I I know you have some questions on the new tactics and how they're going to shift for Jason. So, Well, uh, yeah, you know, Jason, another aspect of that bill – is that it had all these enormous slush funds, $600 billion in uh, slush funds basically set up for all different kinds of pockets of green energy that they want to subsidize. And, you know, 60 billion here for transmission lines without even, without even identifying any specific projects, you're just going to put a slush fund out there for $60 billion. Um, is there a concern, I guess, uh, one, one thing I'm worried about is this president loves to use executive orders and, you know, extra legislative solutions to these kinds of normally legislative things. Is there any concern? Are you hearing any concerns that he may start just signing a bunch of eject- executive orders, imposing mandates and subsidies and slush funds uh, with the pen and paper? Yeah, I think they have already started moving down that path with some of their purchasing power. Certainly the federal government buys a lot of things. And so uh, he has kind of broad discretion uh, if Congress hasn't stipulated that, that that he can go out and purchase electric vehicles or purchase charging stations right. or promote renewables in some way. Uh, certainly some of these environmental reviews for large-scale transmission lines uh, to, to uh, incentivize the building of, of renewables. Um, they will work to, to fast-track those um, and overcome the concerns of either the local community or, or those states, for that matter, um, because it's a, it's a priority for this administration. What about, um, let's switch gears and talk about the Baker Hughes recount. Um, now, it's been up last week. Uh, we saw it uh, increase. Uh, but how are operators dealing with their budgets now, looking at all of the um, regulation? The, we just, the Build Back Better bill just got you know, killed. How, how, how are operators actually operating in this time right now with their new budgets for the year? What's their comfortable, comfortable or wait, are they even comfortable right. uh, in looking and seeing, you know, I feel confident being able to go out and uh, put some more rigs out there what do you think what, no, what are you it's hearing been, it's been 
they're either very disciplined, right? Um, or there's still substantial challenges that are coming from the level of uncertainty, uh, from the limitations on capital availability. And then you're, you're absolutely right. These federal policies that are leaving operators unable to predict uh, whether that, that demand will continue to grow uh, or we'll see some federal policy that gets pretty aggressive about attacking the demand side of things. Uh, as I mentioned before, Texas production has risen back to pre-pandemic levels, uh, but we still see some lagging uh, around the rest of the country. Uh, we've also seen a, a pretty good um, uh, chipping away of the ducks, those drilled and uncompleted wells, uh, particularly in the Permian Basin. While we've got about 300 rigs running in the Permian Basin, on average, you see about 400 um, uh, uh, completions being done uh, each month. And, and so that's really a testament to that there's still opportunity there to increase our production without necessarily getting drilling rigs back in the field. Very good. Jason, I, I wanted to, to, before we end the show, talk a little bit about the grid here in Texas because we've had some really unfortunate, erroneous reporting about natural gas supply on the grid uh, right after that cold snap we had right after the first of the year. Uh, Bloomberg uh, put out a report claiming that natural gas supply dropped by five BCF a day just immediately in the wake of that cold snap. And even after the Railroad Commission and ERCOT came in and corrected that record and said, no, that didn't happen. There was some loss, you know, there were some freeze ups. It wasn't important to the grid. Uh, the Houston Chronicle and the Texas Tribune and some of these other big newspapers just expanded on that story using the same bad data. And I just wanted to, to give you a chance to kind of talk about what really happened there and the fact that we didn't lose anything on the grid <laughs> as a result of that cold snap. Yeah, un unfortunately, these things on the Internet <laughs> live forever. And so yeah. Bloomberg puts out a, a false report estimating some nearly one billion cubic feet of gas was flared due yeah. to cold weather issues. Uh, that was completely wrong. It was a million cubic feet of gas that was flared at, at various facilities, uh, some of which don't even supply uh, natural gas to the grid. They're, they're manufacturing processes in West Texas. So that was unfortunate um, that, that those reporters decided to go down that path without really trying to understand what was happening uh, from those operators or, or from the broader context. There, there were not a widespread uh, disruptions in terms of power um, that weekend. And look, we see production fluctuate on, on a pretty regular basis. Um, it doesn't have to do with, with anything uh, related to the weather. Um, that 30 BCF a day is an average across the state. It, it's not locked in that that's going to be the case. And then just take it back to, to the context of what we've been able to do in terms of increasing production. Uh, we've increased natural gas production in the state 50 percent since, since 2010. Um, and, and that's really met a lot of our needs that we've had in adding more natural gas facilities uh, in terms of electric power onto the grid, which we need a lot more of. Um, but also LNG and things of that nature. And, it, and it, it is a real challenge right now because we do have a number of antagonists that want to see more wind and solar 
um, but they're not in the business. And so they don't right. realize that wind and solar need a backstop and need a natural gas backstop. Mm -hmm. And if you have challenges in getting that natural gas secure, uh, then we have issues like we see in, in Europe and in the Northeast, okay. where you've got to turn to other sources. You've got to turn to coal, you've got to turn to heating oil, uh, or you got to turn to the Russians to, to, right. to meet your needs. And we don't, um, want, we don't want any of that. Absolutely. Got, guys, we are running up on a hard stop. Jason, thank you for, again, coming and joining us on our live show. And I know you have an event coming up here soon, so I do encourage our listeners to go join the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. David, another great show in the books. Thank you guys for joining us and we do appreciate the partnership that we have with the alliance and we look forward to covering this conference that you're going to be having soon again if anybody wants to join they can google texas alliance of energy producers or contact us we'll be happy to give the information to you on how to join and be a part of the alliance and get involved and get engaged but guys that is all the time we have for this show thank you for joining us and we look forward to next month when we do this again In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.